Today's Bible reading is from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19, and it is on page 621 of the Pew Bibles. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the laws of Moses the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, and all, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear our prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Good morning, Grace Church. Uh, if any of the kiddies are waiting for uh, Kids Church, you can now be dismissed. Now, as many of you know, this past week, it was a very special day. It was, of course, uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, and on my social media feed, there were all sorts of uh, videos and posts, uh, things about Valentine's Day, giving uh, couples advice 
uh, romantic, talking about you know, people going to romantic dinners, uh, and there were you know, many, uh, a few serious posts, but many kind of silly posts about Valentine's Day. I just want to share one of them with you. Uh, have a look at the screen, there's a video that's going to be shown um, about sort of couples and stuff. Well, it's a, it's a little kind of uh, you know, having fun at the expense of the women, but I hope no one's too offended by this. Uh, but of course, it's not really a women problem, is it? I mean, we all have the same problem. That is, we all find it hard to say sorry, don't we? Maybe it's because of our egos, maybe it's our insecurities, or perhaps a sense of shame. But when we've done wrong, we all find it hard to apologize, to say sorry. Now, of course, that's a problem between couples, maybe between friends, uh, often between family members. But most of all, it's a problem between us and God. And today in our Bible passage, Daniel is going to show us how to say sorry to God. Now to set the scene, we read in verse 1, this is what it says. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. Now verse 1 tells us that the events of this chapter occurred in the first year of Darius, a Mede. Now, you probably didn't take much notice of that when that was read out in the Bible reading. Uh, but this, this first verse is actually a really important bit of information. Now, if you've been with us over uh, in the last couple of months in our series on Daniel, you would know that in chapters 1 to 5, uh, it was the Babylonian Empire that were in control. They were the world superpower at the time. But by the end of chapter 5, though, uh, the Babylonians had been defeated. They had fallen... And the Medes and the Persians came to power. They were the new superpower. And so it was during this particular period uh, that the events of this chapter happened. And so during this time, in the first year of Darius, Daniel was reading his Bible. And so we read in verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word, word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, we're not going to have time to turn to Jeremiah right now, but you could read this prophecy for yourself in Jeremiah chapter 25 and 29. But in these chapters, God promises Israel uh, that they would be taken from their homeland and they would live in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years they would be in exile, and then after that, he will put an end to the Babylonian kingdom and he will bring his people home back to Jerusalem. And so that's why this is, the first verse is so significant. See, uh, Daniel has already seen the first part of that prophecy fulfilled. He has seen the fall of Babylon. And so we have Darius as a new king. And so, you know, Daniel would have done some quick calculations and would have realized, actually, it's been about 70 years since he's been in Babylon. 
been about 70 years. And so he's looking forward to the rest of the prophecy being fulfilled. And so knowing this, we read in verse 3, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. Now in a moment, we're going to unpack the, the contents of this prayer that Daniel prays. But notice what it is that drives Daniel to prayer in the first place. It is the word of God that drives him to prayer. See, imagine what the people in Babylon were feeling at the time. Right, this is a, a period of political upheaval, a very unstable time, a major shift in world political power. And so the people living in Babylon would have been you know, quite anxious. All these uncertainties and fears about their future. Who knows if this new king is going to be a better king or maybe a worse king. And yet Daniel turns to God in prayer, not because of these circumstances, not because he is fearful or anxious, not because he is in need, but Daniel is driven to prayer by the promises of God in Scripture. See, throughout the book of Daniel, we know that God's sovereignty is a theme that appears on every single page. But for Daniel, knowing that God is in control is not an excuse for him to be passive and just sit back and just let things happen. But rather, knowing that God is in control, it is an incentive for him to, to take action. Whether that action means uh, eating vegetables instead of meat, whether that means uh, ignoring and dis uh, disobeying the laws of a totalitarian government, or whether that action means turning to God in prayer. Now, each of these actions is an expression of Daniel's faith. See, it's because he trusts God that he acts in line with his will. And that is what Daniel is doing in this chapter today. He's praying in line with God's will and his promises revealed in Scripture. And so with that in mind, let's see what it is that Daniel prays about. In verse 4, the first thing that Daniel says to God is this. He says, we were wrong and you were right. Look at verse 4. I pray to the Lord my God and confess, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and, his, and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. So Daniel begins his prayer by praising God for who he is, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. This God is a faithful God, he says. And that is particularly in contrast to Israel, who has not been faithful. Israel, they have sinned and they've done wrong. And look at the language that Daniel uses to describe their sin. See, it wasn't out of ignorance that they sinned. It wasn't that they, they didn't know any better. It wasn't an accident or, or a mistake. See, but in verse 5, it was a deliberate choice to turn away from God, to turn away from his commands and laws, and to repeatedly not listen to the prophets. And he goes on in verse 7, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries we have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. Notice again the contrast between Israel and God. Right? God is righteous, but we are covered with shame. 
everyone from the ordinary citizen near and far right up to the princes and kings is covered with shame now i think most people understand the idea of guilt when you've done something wrong we feel guilty but we don't always understand what it means to feel shame so guilt is when you when you know you've done something wrong but guilt is not just doing wrong it's when you're saying i am wrong when i am a mistake there is something wrong with me it's not just i've done a wrong behavior but i i myself in my inner core is there's something wrong deep inside of me and so this feeling this sense of worthlessness uh, and as a result feeling like i don't i don't belong i, I feel ashamed to be with with certain groups of people uh, and that's that's the kind of shame uh, that daniel was feeling and for israel see there was no greater shame for them than to have their home destroyed and to be forced to live in a foreign land. Now, I wonder, though, whether for some of the Israelites, if that shame had faded over time. I imagine there were some, like Daniel, who, you know, having lived in uh, Babylon for many years, they had done well for themselves. They had risen up through the ranks. Uh, They were doing well. And perhaps for many of the younger generation who were born in Babylon and raised in Babylon, for many of them... Babylon was the only home they've ever known. And so perhaps for some of these Israelites, life in Babylon was just the norm. It was not not shameful, not disgraceful, that was just normal life. But not for Daniel. So even though Daniel has been living in Babylon for 70 years, even though he's lived most of his life in this city, and even though life was good for him there, he still remembered. He remembered that Babylon is not his home. He remembered that it was the sins of Israel that caused them to be exiled. And he remembered the righteous God whom they had sinned against. And so he continues to pray in verse 9. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. So this time, Daniel emphasizes God's mercy in contrast with their sins. Because that is exactly what they need, God's mercy. So Israel have no merit of their own with which they can fix this situation. They can only rely on God's mercy to forgive them. Now just take a step back for a moment and, and think about all that Daniel has prayed so far in that passage. Can you see what he's been doing? See, three times Daniel highlights God's character. And three times, Daniel confesses the sins of Israel. He says, God, you are faithful, and we are wicked. God, you are righteous, but we are covered with shame. God, you are merciful, and we need to be forgiven. See, Daniel is deliberately putting these two things side by side, God's character and Israel's character. He's putting them side by side so you can see just how good God is, and just how sinful and shameful Israel is. See, my son Jake, he loves to play sports and just being active in general, uh, but that also means that he often sweats a lot because he's running around, he's very active, and he sweats a lot. And he sweats so much that I often joke with him that uh, when he's dripping wet, it looks like he's gone swimming because he's just covered head to toe in moisture. And that moisture is not water, but it looks like he's been swimming. Uh, And when he's sweating like that, what he wants most is a tub of ice cream. Uh, He wants something to cool him down. He wants uh, something cold like ice cream. 
And so the other day I asked him, Jake, uh, would you want to eat ice cream all year round? And I thought he would say yes for sure because he gets hot so easily so often. But to my surprise, he said no. He would not want ice cream all year round. He said he wouldn't want to eat ice cream in winter. It's too cold. See, ice cream is best enjoyed on a hot day when you're feeling really hot and sweaty. To fully appreciate ice cream, you need to be hot. You need the contrast of the hot temperature with the cold ice cream. And in the same way, in order for us to recognize sin as sin, we need the contrast of God's righteousness, His holiness. Because if we were to compare that to anything else, right, if you compared yourself to other people, maybe you're not, you're not that bad. But compared to God, all of us, from the most average, ordinary person, right up to the presidents and the kings, we are all sinful. There is no one righteous, not even one. And so Daniel shows us again and again and again that we are wrong and God is right. And so that's the first thing that Daniel prays. Now the second thing that Daniel prays is this. He says, we were wrong and we deserve what we got. Let me read from verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. See, looking back on all that has happened in, uh, to Israel, Daniel acknowledges that this is what they deserved. God had warned them a thousand years earlier through Moses that if they turned away from him, the consequences would be very severe. And so for a thousand years, God was patient with them. He gave them chances again and again and again. He warned them year after year to come back, to not wander away. But they did not listen. And so when great disaster struck, Daniel says, God, you are righteous. You're right in everything you've done. So look at verse 13. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. See, the things that happened to Israel, they were, they were terrible things. To be uh, prisoners of war, to go through famine and, and hardship and death. I mean, they are terrible, terrible things. And yet Daniel accepts all of it without any excuses. He doesn't try to minimize their sin. He doesn't blame anybody else for what happened. He doesn't try to justify it or to defend themselves. There was no complaint against God that God was being too harsh even in the light of all the suffering, all the trauma that Israel has experienced, Daniel still maintains God is righteous in everything he does. The problem, he says, lies squarely on the shoulders of Israel. And they are getting exactly what they deserve. Now, did you notice throughout the chapter, Daniel has been using the pronoun, we. He doesn't say, they have sinned. They have turned away. He doesn't say that. He says, no, we have sinned. We have turned away. He counts himself among those who have sinned and disobeyed God. Now, if you know anything about uh, this Daniel character, you would know 
that would be a bit strange. Because throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel has been the good guy. He is the one guy who always does what is right. So when Daniel's enemies wanted to get rid of him, they could not find any excuse to accuse him of anything. When uh, the king made a law banning people from praying, Daniel continued to pray and do the right, uh, you know, to pray to God. Even when the king, even the king found him to be exemplary uh, in every way compared to the other officials. And so Daniel is the good guy in the story. And yet, why does he count himself among the sinners of Israel? Now, some of you are perhaps too young to remember this, uh, but 2008 was a significant year in Australian history. On Australia Day that year, uh, up in the skies above the Opera House and the, and the Harbour Bridge, a plane flew over and wrote the words, sorry. And then three weeks later, the Prime Minister at the time, Kevin Rudd, made an official apology to the Indigenous people of Australia for the way that they have been mistreated. He apologised to them for the children who were forcibly taken from their families. He apologised for the laws and the policies which discriminated against them. And he apologised for the injustice and the oppression that they faced for decades and centuries. Now, I don't know Kevin Rudd personally, and I don't, don't know this for certain, but I take it that Kevin Rudd himself has not personally done anything against the Aboriginal people. He certainly wasn't the Prime Minister when those laws uh, and policies were made. He wasn't even alive when the stolen generation were taken. And yet, on behalf of the nation, he apologised to the Aboriginal people. He identified with all non-Indigenous Australians to acknowledge the sins of the nation. And in the same way, Daniel, though he was personally innocent, but he identified with the sins of the nation of Israel as an Israelite. He does this so that he can represent Israel in pleading with God for mercy, which is what he goes on to pray next. Have a look. Uh, the third and the final thing that Daniel prays is this. He prays that we were wrong. Please forgive us. Read with me from verse 15. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. So Daniel knows from reading Jeremiah that this period of exile is coming to an end. Soon, God will bring them home. But he also knows that it, this is not an automatic process. It's not like a school bell that rings at 3 p.m. and then you just go home. Right? Something needs to happen for the exile to end, for them to be able to go home. And Daniel knows what this thing is, what needs to happen. is that sin needs to be dealt with. So it was sin that caused Israel to be in exile. And so for the exile to end, this sin needs to be dealt with. And so he pleads with God to turn aside from his anger and to forgive them. Now today in our passage, we don't see how that happens. We don't see how God would turn aside from his anger. We don't see how God would deal with this sin. But let me give you a little sneak peek of next week's sermon. Uh, in answer to Daniel's prayer, God sends a messenger with this message. Skip down just to verse 24. 
verse 24, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city. And this is the important bit. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Now, I'm not going to explain what that verse means and all those details. Come back next week if you want to find out. But what God is saying uh, here is that there is a time coming when he says when he will finish transgression, when he will put an end to sin, when he will atone for wickedness and bring an everlasting righteousness. That is the answer to Daniel's prayer. And God said that time is coming. That is exactly what Israel needs for God to deal with their sin. And notice the basis for Daniel's prayer here. He doesn't ask God to forgive them because you know, he said, God, look, we've learned our lesson, we've learned from our mistakes. No, he doesn't pray because, oh, you know, we've changed our ways, we're better people now. No, nope. there's none of that. Because Daniel knows that, Daniel, uh, that Israel can't guarantee any change, any improvement on their part. He knows that they're just as likely to repeat the same mistakes. So he doesn't, you know, ask God for forgiveness based on Israel's conduct. Rather, it's all based on God's name and his reputation. Daniel says in verse 15, God, you have made a name for yourself that endures to this day. See, in the ancient world, every country had their own national gods. Uh, and it was believed that, th that their national gods would protect their country and their people. And so all the surrounding countries knew that this God was the God of Israel. He is famous. He has made a name for himself. He's famous because this is the God who defeated the mighty gods of Egypt and rescued Israel you know, a thousand years earlier. And now Israel has been defeated by Babylon. And so God's reputation is in tatters. It seems as if the gods of Babylon were stronger. And so the exile made God look weak. It made God look pathetic in the eyes of the world. See, the Jerusalem, the city of this God, lies in ruins. The temple where this God is worshipped is just a pile of rubble. And the Israelites, his special chosen people, were their nobodies. So a number of years ago, I remember there was a, a video that was uh, posted on YouTube of a man who worked at Domino's Pizza in the US. And in, in this video, it showed this guy, uh, he was mucking around in the kitchen, he was putting uh, you know, cheese up his nose, he was uh, farting on a slice of salami, and he sneezed on a pizza. And people saw this video and they were grossed out by it. And this video went viral, uh, the whole thing blew up into a huge media storm. Uh, you know, it was reported in the news, and, and people were obviously concerned about, about the food that they were getting from Domino's and whether it was sanitary. Uh, this employee who, who was responsible for this video was obviously uh, very quickly fired, and he was even sentenced to jail later on. But that was not the worst of it. Uh, the sales figure, as you can imagine, for Domino's Pizza in that area dropped by 50%, resulting in 600 people losing their jobs just because they didn't have enough business. And the shop where that man worked, where the video was taken, that shop had to close down eventually because no one would go to that shop to buy pizza anymore. And the reputation of Domino's Pizza as a fast food chain was totally destroyed because of this one man. And so you can imagine what God's reputation was like when not just one man, but the whole nation of Israel turned away and disobeyed him. 
And so we see in this prayer that, God's, uh, that Daniel's concern is not for himself. This concern is not for his people or their suffering. But his concern is for God's name, for God's reputation to be restored. Look at how he ends this prayer in verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. You see that? And it's for your sake, O Lord, for your city, for your people, that bears your name. Now, is that your concern when you pray? Do you remember what Jesus taught his disciples to pray? In the Lord's Prayer, the first line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed just means to honour and to revere something. For God's name to be honoured and revered. For his name to be lifted up above all else. And centuries before Jesus taught that prayer to his disciples, Daniel prayed in the same way. So often our prayers are centred around our problems, our needs, our our circumstances around ourselves. But these last couple of verses gives us a great pattern and a great posture for prayer. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. Not because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy, for the sake of your great name. So let me ask you this morning, do you need to apologize to God? Do you need to confess your sins and ask him for forgiveness? Now, I think many of us struggle to, to pray, let alone confess to God. And I think there are many reasons for that. But let me just give you three reasons from today's passage. So I think we won't confess and we won't pray if we don't think we are wrong. So if we downplay the severity of our sin, if we make excuses for what we've done, we're not going to apologize. And we're not going to pray to God, secondly, if we don't think that God is righteous. So if we, if we blame God for the hardships that we've gone through, if we blame God for the circumstances that we've been put in, we blame God, we blame other people, we're not going to want to apologize. It's not really my fault. I, I couldn't help it. And thirdly, we won't come to God if we don't think that God is merciful. So if we just think of God as this angry God who punishes people, sends people to hell, if that's all you think of God, true as that may be, if that's what you think of God, we'll run away in fear from his anger and punishment. See, Daniel teaches us that we all need to admit that we were wrong and God is right. We need to admit that we were wrong and we deserve to be punished. And thirdly, to admit that we were wrong and we need his forgiveness. And so will you come to God this morning and confess your sins? whether for the first time or perhaps for the millionth time. Come to this God and confess your sins because he is a merciful God and he has promised in his word that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we can be certain that this is true. We can be certain of this promise because he proved it by sending his son Jesus. See, like Daniel, Jesus, though he had no sin of his own, he came and he identified with us in our sin. Instead of pointing at our sin from a distance, Jesus comes close and he takes our sin upon his shoulders. But Jesus goes one step further than Daniel. Daniel could only plead for mercy, but do nothing to achieve it. But Jesus not only interceded on our behalf, but he gave his life in order that we might be forgiven. So you can be certain, you can rest assured that if you confess your sins today, you will be forgiven. And so let me close this, this, service, uh, this, this sermon uh, with a time of prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray and to confess your sins to God. I'm going to uh, lead us in prayer, but also give a time for you to pray silently in your own mind. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are a great and awesome God. You are righteous and good in all that you do. And we confess that we are the exact opposite. We are sinful people who have turned away from you. We've turned away from your laws and your commands. We've ignored your servants, your prophets, and your scriptures. And even when you call us back to you, whether through your word, whether through life circumstances, whether through friends or family, when you call us back to you, Father, we so often have ignored you. We have persisted in turning away from you. And for that, Father, we are sorry. And just for a few moments, Father, each of us wants to confess to you our sins. Father, we are covered with shame. These few seconds barely scratch the surface of the sins that are in our hearts. But we acknowledge that we are covered with shame, that we have no right to stand before you. And we ask that you might show mercy to us. Not because we deserve it, not because we are righteous, but because you are a merciful God. Father, forgive us, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave his life in order that we might be forgiven. Help us to turn to him, to put our trust in him, and to follow you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.